A reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound a multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear? each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. The word of the Lord. Please stand as uh, we uh, affirm uh, and uh, entrust ourselves to God through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. And uh, as, uh, as we're going to look into God's word, uh, let me pray. Our Father, this day uh, when we focus attention on the coming of the Holy Spirit um, and we look into your word and we see uh, your people waiting and depending on the Spirit, uh, we come to you in that same posture. Um, we're waiting for you. We're depending on your Spirit. We ask that you would show up, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that uh, you would calm our hearts, that you would calm our fears and open our ears that we could hear you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I invite you to turn uh, to our Bible readings. Uh, they're in your bulletin. They are on, what page are they on? They're here somewhere, page 8 and 9. Um, you can turn there. You can turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. We're also going to look at uh, at the reading from Genesis there, but we'll... we'll focus our time in, in Acts 2. And you'll notice uh, from what I just said that, uh, let me 
There, now I'm facing the right way. Uh, you'll notice that we are taking a break from our uh, series in Daniel. Um, we're going to finish that off next week. But for right now, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. Um, that's the day in the church calendar that we have. And one of the things about being in a church tradition that follows the church calendar is that you'll find that, uh, that we keep time in a way that isn't linear. We cycle back over the same things every year. And what I mean is that uh, we do not number uh, our days primarily according to the days and months of our regular calendar that the world around us uses, that uh, work uses, um, but we keep time that is shaped by the life of Jesus. Our church seasons of Advent and Christmas and Lent and Easter serve to structure our days around Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection and his mission. But the church season that we enter into today begins with Pentecost and it ends with Christ the King Sunday. And that's all the way in November, so it's a big stretch of time. We enter the longest part of the year, framed by Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit on his people, on us, on, on, on the church, so that we can continue participating in his mission of reconciling people to God, of healing, of restoring humanity, all the way up until Jesus' return when he sets everything right and brings all things to completion. That's what Christ the King Sunday signifies. So in a sense, Every day that we have going forward from here until Jesus returns is shaped by working out what it means that the Holy Spirit has been given to God's people. God has a way of pushing into our lives in unexpected and inconvenient ways. God the Holy Spirit does that. So maybe it's appropriate that this Pentecost Sunday divides up our series on Daniel when we only have one more sermon to go. Um, you know, I like neat packages and, uh, and, you know, it's like a whole, we only have one more, um, but it is what it is. We'll let God interrupt us uh, with our, our readings for Pentecost. So we're going to look at the Bible, the Bible reading in the book of Acts that gives an account of what happened when the Holy Spirit showed up to a group of Jesus' disciples that were trying to figure out what to do after Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and has now given them instructions to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. As we do that, we're going to ask a simple question. This simple question has a fairly straightforward answer and a more complicated answer, both of which have implications that are being worked out to this very day. So the question, what does this mean? That's our question. Have you ever asked a question like that when you're faced with something unexpected in life? It seems that in the Bible, whenever God does something big, his people respond with a question. If you think back to the Old Testament book of Exodus, there's a story, uh, there is the story of God liberating his people from slavery in Egypt. And after they um, have been brought miraculously out of Egypt and they find themselves in the desert, um, they're in need of food. And so uh, they cry out to God, they cry out to Moses, and, and God feeds them with manna and quail. And so they named this weird honey-flavored, flaky, bread-like substance, manna, uh, which literally means, what is it? Or is it, what is it? Uh, I don't know. It seems like a pretty good thing, though. Uh, God, so God, God does unexpected things that, that draw us into what he's doing. 
and it often results in amazement and confusion. It's like, this is awesome, but, but I, I don't fully get what's going on. So Acts 2 is one of these moments, and we find our guiding question right at the end of our reading in verse 12. It says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? So amazement, there's perplexity, there's curiosity. But that's not the only response to what's going on. Verse 13 tells us, but others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. Right? They're like, these people are drunk. They had too much to drink. And uh, I'm not sure where you're coming from this morning. Um, maybe you connect more with the people who think it, this all looks like a bunch of people who had too much to drink, and, and I get that. Um, but can I encourage you, and can I encourage all of us uh, to just for a few moments enter into this passage from the perspective of amazement, curiosity, and confusion? So what does this mean? Well, the answer. The answer is deceptively simple. It's found in verse 4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit has arrived. That's the answer. That's what all the stuff that we're going to look at closer in a moment means. Now, in one sense, uh, this was expected. This is why Jesus' followers had gathered together and been praying and waiting. That is what Jesus instructed them to do in Acts chapter 1. Wait for the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't go down as everyone expected. In fact, I'm not sure exactly what everyone expected, but based on everyone's reactions, there's bewilderment in verse 6, there's amazement and astonishment in verse 7, and perplexity in verse 12. I don't think that this is what they were imagining. So what does this mean? We can press further into this question. Yes, the Holy Spirit's here, but what does it mean that the Spirit shows up in a curious way with loud rushing wind and tongues of fire and people speaking all sorts of languages? I want to focus us in on these three things. The sound of the loud wind, the tongues of fire, the many languages that are spoken. These three signs, these wonders, they cover three different senses. It's our hearing and our sight and our speech. It's this multi-sensory experience. Loud noise, fire, languages from all over the place. When I put it that way, it actually sounds like last night out in Harlem on the street. Um, There's fireworks going off. There was loud noises. Um, but, but these things are more than just a passionate experience. The way everything's described here is pushing us just beyond what is seen and heard. The sound was like a rushing wind, but it's not a rushing wind. There were tongues, they're kind of like fire. This is not a normal sort of fire. Wind is often associated with God's spirit and with his presence, especially in the Old Testament. Wind and spirit are the same word in Hebrew, and so we often get wordplay between the two. And fire is also frequently a characteristic of God's presence. If you think about God appearing to Moses in a burning bush when, when, Moses, when he calls out to Moses to follow him, it's fire. In Acts 2, we have tongues of fire. And a tongue is a symbol of speech. Without one, you cannot talk. Fire in the Old Testament is more often than not a symbol of God's presence. So fire and wind, the presence of God, 
and tongues, speech. God speaks. What happens when God speaks? Well, the first time he spoke, uh, all things in creation sprung into being. Here in Acts, he's doing something creative again. This is new creation, but this is not starting over from scratch. God's not tossing out everything that's old and doing it over from nothing. If you're starting over on a blank slate, there would have been no need for Jesus to come and take on our humanity, our flesh, our brokenness, faith, face death for us, and bring us to new life. God is speaking life into his people. He's spurring people on to the purpose for which they were created. He's pointing his people towards what they're created for and empowering them to do it by giving them the spirit, his spirit. God is moving things along, filling people. And this brings us to the third strange occurrence. People are speaking in different tongues. And now this is tied to our purpose. And the rest of our passage focuses in on this. People begin to speak in different tongues or languages in verse 4. And we find out in verse 5 that there are Jews staying in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. By verse 6, everyone is bewildered because everyone is hearing them speak in his own language. So what we have here are the followers of Jesus, the Jewish people from Galilee. They're known here as the Galileans. And they, they have this reputation for being uncultured because they're from the countryside. They're not refined like the city dwellers in Jerusalem. Right? They, they speak in a strange country accent. And these Galileans are speaking the languages of people from all over the world. Now, one other point of clarification here. We have a list of places from, um, a list of places where people are from in verses 9 to 11. It's a list that moved geographically from east to west, from the Caspian Sea to Turkey, North Africa to Rome and beyond. It's basically the whole Roman Empire. Um, and it also, it also encompasses all the places where the people from Israel were exiled. So if you think about the series we've been going through in Daniel, God's people are exiled and they're scattered all over the place. Well, not all those people came back to Jerusalem to rebuild. There's, there's whole communities that were grounded in different cultures and grew up there. And there's these communities that come back to these festivals. And so we have this festival of Pentecost. People come back. Um, and, uh, and these people have taken on the language and the elements of the culture where they've been. Um, even, when they retain, even though they retain their identity as the people of God, as Jewish people. Um, and, and so... So we're going to return to this, this point in a moment, right? There, there's, there's many people, they're scattered throughout the whole world. They're all present in Jerusalem, um, but they're not all exactly the same. They actually represent different cultures, in a sense, from all over the place. So what's going on? What does this mean? I said that this is God intervening to guide his people. This isn't the first time that God has stepped in to guide his people in the right direction. He has a habit of doing this, actually. 
Um, throughout the history of the church, uh, people often read this passage and, and noticed similarities to another story of many languages and people groups in the Bible. In Genesis chapters 10 and 11, and we have part of chapter 11 as our Old Testament reading, in Genesis 10 and 11, um, we've, what, 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 what we have is we're given in, in Genesis 10 a long list of people and places that is often called the table of the nations. So it lists all these people and their descendants and this is where this nation came from and this is where this nation came from. What immediately follows that in, in chapter 11 is what's called the story of the Tower of Babel. And that's what we have, have written out for us. The table of nations in Genesis 10 is kind of uh, an ancient genealogy that describes all of the nations and cultures of the world a long time ago. And the beginning of Genesis 11 is an account of how those peoples and nations got divided up and dispersed. So the list of nations and peoples in Acts chapter 2, um, going back to our other passage, it functions as kind of an updated table of the nations up to, to this point in history moving further along. And so the events of Pentecost are in a way related to the events surrounding the Tower of Babel. And so let's look for just a few moments at Genesis 11. Genesis 11 is another story that evokes our curiosity. We're told that there was a time when all the peoples of the world had one common language and vocabulary. People in this, this story, as the nerve goes, they move from the east to the west and they get this idea of building a tower. And they're building a city, they're building a tower with its top in the sky. And they have a distinct purpose for this tower. We're told in verse 4 that it's to make a name for themselves. And here we find the people's motivation. It's pride. It's seeking recognition. It's fame. But it's more than that. It's an attempt to manipulate and control and ultimately displace God. That's what pride does at its root. And so the tower that's described here is most likely a ziggurat. Um, it's an ancient temple that was not, not like, you know, the, the skyscrapers uh, down on 57th Street um, in Midtown, um, but rather more like a pyramid with a flat top. And on that flat top, it was designed to have ceremonies um, to invite or lure or control a deity, trying to get the deity to come down so that the people can get what they want. And now there's some sort of conversation that happens in heaven in verse 5. Um, God sees what's going on and, and, uh, and the host of heaven sees it and they're like, you know what, this is a bad idea to let people continue along this course. I, I think something needs to be done. So the decision is made to confuse the people's language and scatter them all over the earth. And we end up with another play on words here. Uh, Babylon, which is the nation that becomes an enemy of God's people. In fact, they're the ones who eventually send God's people into exile. Um, Babylon is the target of this word play. Babili is the Babylonian word for the gate of God. But it also sounds like the Hebrew word for confusion. And so there's a commentary going on here about the pride of people who set themselves up to be like God and to try and manipulate God for their own means. The point here is, that is what is being judged here is the pride of the people. This isn't what people, this isn't what humanity was created for. 
But it is in line with how uh, even the very first people that God made, Adam and Eve in the garden, sought to do things their own way apart from God. Now here's something that's really important as we look to how this relates to what's going on in Acts 2. God's judgment on people here for their pride actually has a redemptive element to it. Yes, their pride in Genesis 11 needs to be addressed. But the fact that their language is confused and they're dispersed over all the earth is actually a course correction for the direction of humanity. Now we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 when, when God is creating everything and when he gets to the people that he has made, he gives them a charge. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in Genesis 1.28. They're to care for the earth, rule over it, and as they do that, they're to fill it and shape it. It's part of being made in the image of God. This is often called a, like a cultural mandate, right? Humans are made to have cultural identities that are a product of interacting with God's creation as they spread as God's image bearers throughout the earth. They're God's representatives. And so uh, this is done um, actually in a really less than perfect manner throughout the first nine chapters of Genesis. Um, it's actually not really done. Um, what we end up is stories of murder, stories of deceit and corruption, to the point where God sends a flood um, in, in a sense that things are starting over. And then right after the whole flood narrative, um, we come to this, this story of people trying to manipulate God at Babel. And so, so what we have here actually is God's giving people a really strong nudge to get back on track in Genesis 11. Like, let, let's get you back out there doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because right now you're doing the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. You're all gathered together trying to be God. Um, you're supposed to be spreading out, being fruitful and multiplying, and bringing, representing God in all, all his creativity and diversity in the culture that he's entrusted to us. So we see the cultural diversity of Genesis 10's list of nations and peoples didn't actually happen without God's intervention. And now these cultures aren't perfect. They still need to be critiqued, um, especially for us in light of who Jesus is and what he, do he does. But these cultures, um, they're good. They're, they're expressions of our humanity. Um, and they need to be brought into, light, into the light of Jesus. So we're going to jump back to Acts chapter 2. Um, and try to draw this back together. So one of the things about cultures is that language is a really important part of cultural identity. Uh, and when we look at Acts chapter 2, um, we find a refining of what happened at Babel. Because there's one really important difference between what happened in Genesis 11 and what happened in Acts 2. Really important, the, the really important difference is God's presence by his spirit with his people. Rather than being um, kind of sent out, but not, not with God, now suddenly we have God here doing something. And in Acts 2, languages aren't obliterated back into like one super language. The, the, it, what happens is we have all of these languages, but the confusion that was present in Genesis 11 is replaced by people hearing the mighty works of God in their native languages, as it says in verses 8 and 11. 
So like, there's still confusion, but the confusion now is like, why, why do we understand what all these people are saying? Like, like, what's going on? The people begin speaking in many languages. It's not everyone spoke in one language or that everyone could understand one language. Babel's not undone. Um, the diversity of languages was not a punishment. It was part of the vision of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. And we're seeing that vision play out as God, by pouring out his spirit, is expanding who is a part of his people. He's expanding it to include people from all nations and tribes in the world. And what's unifying everyone is Jesus. Jesus is the one who's broken down the walls that divide us. First, the walls that separate us from God by taking on our human nature and repairing that distance that came between us and God when Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing. God takes on all the effects of our pride to bring us back into relationship with him. And then next, he breaks down the walls that divide people from each other. This is seen here when, God, when Jesus breathes out the Holy Spirit on us. In a world that's so divided right now, could it be that God's plan involves us, the church, being a community that reflects God's intention for humanity? All right, so there's one other thing to highlight as we try to tie it all together here. In verse 8, people are astonished that they hear these uncultured Galileans speaking in the native languages of many people. They're still all only people of Israelite heritage. We haven't yet gotten to all of the nations of the world. Um, but people are astonished that uh, the descendants of those who are scattered in the time of exile um, can hear these native languages. The story of the good news of Jesus going out to all, all the peoples of the world, that, that's really the rest of the book of Acts and really the rest of the New Testament and right up to our day. But it's interesting to note that these followers of God these followers of the God of Israel have lived long enough in foreign cultures that their native languages are now from those places. They've all gathered together in Jerusalem and there's, there's a common language, probably like Greek that most people would use, but the spirit causes people to speak and hear in their native tongues is what it says. I think another way to describe a native tongue is a heart language. Do you know what I mean by that? If, if maybe if you've traveled to a foreign country, you know how frustrating it is uh, to try and communicate in a language that's not your first or your normal language, right? And do you, do, you, do you have that, do you remember that relief when it is you find someone who speaks the same language as you to give you the directions that you're trying to find? And I know, I know it's, um, that some of us here are not from here, right? We're not from New York City. We're not from the United States. And, and so you've learned to live in a culture that's not native to you. And there's those awkward misunderstandings and, and confusion over things that everyone else seems to think is normal. And then what happens when you encounter somebody who can speak to you in your home language, right? Or what happens when you find something from your own culture? There's something in us that touches us at the deepest level. There's something that touches us at the deepest level when we engage with the, these heart languages, these native tongues. And language, it, it's a key part of our culture. 
It's a, and, and in a sense, um, it's, it's more than just words, right? Like language, it's, it's grounded in, in place and food and there's art and there's social habits and there's music and all these are part, are shape who we are. And here we see God's connecting with people on this heart level. And he's empowering his people to connect with others in these heart languages. I, I was actually uh, on my way to church this morning and walking down the street and one of my neighbors, um, I ran into her. And it's always really awkward when I run into her because she doesn't speak English. Um, she's Dominican, she speaks Spanish, my wife speaks Spanish. I, I, I've tried, um, I'm trying to learn Spanish. And, uh, but she, she, you know, it's just, she starts speaking to me in Spanish and I know bits and pieces of Spanish, but, but, um, they, like, it's, it's just awkward when you're, you're trying to, she's like, hola. I'm like, okay, that means, that means hello. Como esta? Okay. How are you? And then they're like, oh, how am I? Okay. What, what, how do I feel? Right. Like, it's just awkward, right? <laughs> that was my, my, my experience just, just this morning. But it's so different when, when, uh, like, when, uh, she's speaking with, with other people who speak Spanish. Um, it, 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 there's something about, um, being able to connect with people in their culture. Um, and, and one of the things that, I, that it makes me think of, it makes me think of, um, how I got to know my grandma, uh, my mom's mom. Uh, she was from a world that is so foreign from the world that I grew, grew up in and the world I live in now. She's from Trinidad. Um, she worked on a sugarcane plantation. She spoke Hindi, um, like our ancestry goes back to India. Um, I'd visit her and she'd have like Bollywood movies on and she'd know what's going on and I'm just like, sounds cool. Um, uh, she'd also have WWF wrestling on, um, but that's a whole other story. That, that's that, that 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 that's a Caribbean grandma thing. Um, but um, but I, I found it, you know, it was so hard to connect with her and understand her when she spoke in her accent and with all her missing teeth. And um, but one of the ways we connected was through food. Um, I'd go over. She was a great cook, and she'd cook all these Trini dishes, and she'd just load me up with food. And I'd sit there, and I'd try to listen to her and, and there, there was this connection that was, 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 there's language and there's food, but, but it, we were, we were trying to bridge this gap. Food's part of that heart language. Um, and can I encourage you to think about what is your heart language? Maybe it's something you've never really thought of before. And can I encourage you to think about maybe what is the heart language of people who are not like you? Maybe people in this very room. I know there's lots of people in this city that are not like you. Um, can we think about the ways that we show hospitality or express emotion or interact with others who have a different heart language, a different native tongue? And how do we do things as a church community that's hospitable to others? You see, what unifies us is the Holy Spirit pointing us to Jesus, God's presence with us. What unifies us is proclaiming the mighty acts of God, and that's what happens in the rest of the book of Acts. And things just go crazy, and people are trying to figure out what's going on, and um, it, it's, a, it's a glorious mess. Um, but what unifies us, it's seen in Jesus dealing with death on the cross and restoring our humanity. This has to be our point of unity. But this point of unity allows for all kinds of cultural expressions to be present in that unity. And we live in such a divisive time, don't we? 
We've just had the, the, the shootings in Buffalo, in, in Sunset Park in Brooklyn, in Tulsa, last night was in Philadelphia. We have issues of politics and race that are constantly in the headlines. What's our witness as a community in the face of this? So what does this mean? Well, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit's here right now with us. How does this work out? Well, we have the rest of the New Testament trying to show us how that's working out. And, and, and I think one can, in fact, uh, just argue that the rest of history is working this out, right? And history's full of examples of us getting it wrong. There's colonialism, the Crusades, there's war, there's slavery, there's segregation. When we get it wrong, we really get it wrong. But when we get it right, we have communities that foreshadow what the new creation will be like, where people from every tongue and tribe and nation are gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus, where people will hunger no more and thirst no more. They're gathered around the lamb that was slain, around Jesus worshiping him. So as we enter into this season um, on this Pentecost Sunday, we're invited into the mission of Jesus himself. We're given the Holy Spirit who speaks to the depths of our own hearts in our own native tongues and who empowers us to reach out to others in theirs. So let's do that together. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.